Hello and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. Well, today is our long-awaited post-election episode. In planning for this episode, we circled this date on our calendar months ago with the idea that we could share with you today the election results, who won the race for the White House, and who will control Congress. Well, I guess we should make the best of it anyway. And for this, I'm joined by my colleagues Jennifer Gray and Carol Coolish. And although we are sleep-deprived, we will do our best to tell you what we know, not only about the election, but maybe more importantly, about the future of tax in 2021. So let's start with the big question that is no doubt on all of your minds. Who is going to control the Senate in 2021? I mean, that's the question you expected, right? This podcast is called Catching Up on Capitol Hill, after all. So let's start there with the Senate. Let me ask you, Jennifer, since you're one of our resident Senate experts, what's left to be determined in the Senate before we can make the call in terms of who is going to have control next year? Well, I'll start off by saying nothing is official, but going with most of the estimates, right now we sit at 48-48, Republican-Democrat. So we have four outstanding races. One is in Alaska with Sullivan running for re-election. The counting is just going very slowly in Alaska. He is up quite a bit right now. We'll see where that turns out. North Carolina is very, very close with Tillis running for re-election there, Republican. In Georgia, we have a very interesting situation. So Georgia 2, which was finishing off the unexpired term of Johnny Isaacson with Kelly Loeffner, who had been appointed to that seat, that is going to a runoff, which will take place on January 5th. The second seat, Georgia 1, which is Purdue, Republican running for re-election, is neck and neck. I literally look and pull up the numbers about every 15 minutes for the past 48 hours or so. So basically the issue in Georgia is that just getting the highest percentage is not enough. You have to get over 50%. And Mr. Purdue has been playing right around that 50% number for the past 12 hours or so. So question is going to be at the end of the day when all the numbers are reported in Georgia, will he have one vote above 50% or not? If not, then that will also go to a runoff on January 5th. And so here we are on the evening of November 5th. Uh, am I correct that he is currently below 50%? Is that right? Or at least some places are reporting him below 50%? Did I mention I'm obsessively looking at this? Last I looked about 10 minutes ago, the Wall Street Journal had him at, I believe, 49.95%, and the New York Times had him at 50.0%. So as I said, it's been dancing around that number for the last 12 hours or so. Okay, so if he ends up one vote below 50%, he too is headed to this January 5th runoff. He may go up or down above and beyond as they count those last few votes, but it seems to me that the trend has been all in one direction, which is he's been sort of slipping away from that 50% number over the course of the last day or so. So he may well end up below 50%, in which case, if I'm doing the math right, we are not going to know control of the Senate until January. Am I thinking about that right? Right. So if you assume that Alaska goes Republican, which isn't guaranteed, but seems to be trending that way, that would be 49 Republicans. Then you have North Carolina standing out there. You have the two Georgia races. So at that point, it's 49 Republicans, 48 Democrats. Control could easily come down to Georgia. The question is whether the Republicans will need one of those Georgia seats or both of those Georgia seats in order to get to 51. Well, so much for certainty immediately following the election. There's a strong possibility we'll be waiting for a while. Okay, that's the Senate. Carol, 
your turn. Let's just talk about the White House, just so people know what we're looking at when they listen to this. Where are we tonight in terms of what states remain uncalled? I know none of these things are official, but what remains uncalled? And where are we on sort of the Electoral College votes that are called? Before I address that, just address the other chamber of Congress, the House. The results are still coming in there too, so it's unofficial. The expectation is that Democrats will continue to control the House, but it could be by less of a margin than they did in the previous House. In terms of the White House, as we speak, I'm looking at the AP's projections, and they're projecting Biden as having 264 electoral votes and Trump 214. You need 270 to hit the magic number, and obviously the whole electoral Congress process still has to play out down the road, and there has to be certification and stuff like that done. But that's the projection right now. And the major states that aren't called yet are Nevada, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. So we're waiting to see what happens with those results. Okay. So you tell me that Vice President Biden is very close to the 270 number. Is it correct that any one of those states that you mentioned uncalled would put him over 270? Is that right? I'm not sure that any one of them, but Pennsylvania, North Carolina, or Georgia would. I believe Nevada would as well, if I'm not mistaken. Nevada would, under these projections, get him right to 270. But keep in mind that other sources like the New York Times still have Arizona not called. So Biden might need more than one, depending upon how things actually play out. And for those of you listening, this may all be old news by the time you get to this. We're trying to figure this out in real time. And so it appears then that obviously Biden has a pretty big edge over the president. I guess the one thing we have to remember is some states there will be automatic recounts or there will be requested recounts and, of course, the potential for legal challenges. So this could drag on beyond this. Carol, I'm going to come back to you then. Let's just ask another question before we get into what's going to happen on tax next year. No matter what happens happens in this? Aren't there always some must-do items that Congress is going to have to do? So no matter who controls the Senate or even the White House, let's just start there and little set. Are there some must-do items that Congress is probably going to have to deal with at some point, even in a divided control scenario next year? From a big picture perspective, appropriations may be one of them. I don't know what's going to happen in the lame duck. Right now, we've got a continuing resolution that kicks government spending down the road until a date in December. So the lame duck Congress will have to address it. And I don't know how long they're looking at doing an omnibus spending bill. They may end up just doing another short-term CR. I don't know. So I don't know at what point during the year they'll have to deal with appropriations, but that could be an issue. Debt limit also could be an issue as well. On August 1, I believe, of 2021, the debt limit is reinstated. That's the limit on the amount of borrowing that can be out by the government. So they may have to deal with the debt limit at some point after that date. And so these kind of must-do things are often an opportunity to do more. I guess if we thought about it hard enough, we could think about how they might play out differently depending who controls what. But overall, these things tend to get done, and they often are an opportunity to do more. So that's one thing just we shouldn't forget about, that no matter what scenario we have next year, there will be some things getting done, these kind of must-do items. There's also some second bucket things that some people could characterize as must-do. Infrastructure, they kick the can down the road on surface transportation funding for an additional year. So that'll come up in fall of 2021. And it's hard to know at this point whether anything related to economic relief or stimulus or COVID might become must-do. So there are other items that could come up, but the perennial ones are things relating to debt limit and appropriations. You're right. Definitely on COVID. We heard Mitch McConnell say yesterday, all the days are running together now, that we need to do another COVID bill. So you do have senior Republicans saying that. So they may well come back to that. A lot of that depends what the world looks like next year. I don't know what happens with infrastructure. One of the running jokes in Washington is that every week is infrastructure week. It never seems to happen. So we'll see if that dynamic changes next year. 
So Jennifer, let's just work with this scenario. We have a Biden presidency and a GOP-controlled Senate. What do you think is on the tax agenda in that scenario? A lot, nothing, or a little? What do you think? I think at best a little. Certainly, I would not see a lot, i.e. much of the Biden agenda, I think, would have an extremely hard time passing a Republican-controlled Senate. There may be some areas of compromise. As you mentioned, infrastructure might be an area where some agreement could be found between Republicans and Democrats. The end of 21, there are a few provisions from the TCJA that expire. The interest expense, the EBITDA, EBIT issue comes up, the RE amortization comes up. So those are at the end of 21. So that would still be under this Congress that would be coming in beginning of next year. You also have some just general traditional extenders like new market tax credits, work opportunity tax credits that expire at the end of this year. So if those aren't dealt with, those will still be hanging out there. But as far as big issues, again, infrastructure, there was just a bipartisan retirement bill in the House. So that might be something where there could be some work. But as far as huge things like corporate rate changes and fundamental changes to 199A, I'd be surprised to see those on the block. The international area, I think because of what's going on with the OECD in Europe, you're just unsure to guess what may or may not be forced on that side by outside forces. That sounds right to me. You know, we're talking about small ball tax stuff, nothing dramatic. The pre-TCJA world when, you know, we thought that a big deal was getting extenders and those kind of things done or maybe back into that kind of thing. And you did mentioned the OECD. And you're right. I mean, that's always this wild card that we keep coming back to, which is we don't know what could happen there that could force the U.S. to do more. And if you think, well, are Republicans and Democrats really going to agree on how to deal with it? Well, the reality is, depending on how that plays out, you might have the business community in there really asking both Republicans and Democrats to do something to solve that problem. And that's the kind of dynamic where you could really see them working together to try and solve something on behalf of the business community that feels like there's real risk in doing nothing. So I agree with you on that. Let's go to the all blue scenario, right? This is a scenario where, as you said, Democrats have the House. That one we're confident in. But let's just say that the Democrats are able to pick up the necessary seats to get the Senate. And of course, we have a Biden White House. Now, we've talked a lot about this scenario as we've talked about the Biden plan almost by definition. But just remind us, what do you think we're looking at in this world of the all blue world where the Democrats kind of control everything? From a narrow perspective, I think that if you do end up with all blue, one of the first priorities may well be to do some sort of COVID relief bill. Even if something is done during the lame duck session, it'll probably be smaller than what Democrats had been talking about. And I think there's still a good chance that they would try to come back and do something larger with COVID relief. From a more big picture perspective, if you have one party controlling government, it's easier to make big policy changes. So it's more likely under that scenario that you could see some of the types of proposals that we've talked about on these other podcasts, other Biden proposals become law. But one important thing to keep in mind is if we are talking an all blue scenario, it's just going to be light blue in the Senate. And even if you're in scenarios where Democrats would only need 51 votes to pass legislation, that gives each Democratic senator, assuming they're doing things that Republicans won't support, they're going to need to hold on to virtually every single Democrat, which makes every Democratic senator, including the, the very moderate senators, 
have a tremendous amount of power, and that could have a moderating effect on exactly what they can do. So I think you could see legislation in the House going farther, perhaps, than what the Senate ultimately may be able to agree to do. And you may not see, despite all the abundance of proposals that are out there, even though you may see a greater likelihood of some of them becoming law, some of the details of them could be carved back, and there may even be some that can't make it all the way to the finish line just because they're going to have to hold on to virtually every Democratic senator in order to get it through the Senate. And Biden would be aware of that as well. A fantastic point that even at 51, the amount of leverage that each one of those Democratic senators has to get something that they want in every single bill is enormous. Right. And Jennifer, I've heard you use the phrase, you know, every senator a king, right? Like everyone has the ability to get something. And when you think about what that means, as you put the bill together, this senator gets that, that senator gets this, the senator gets that. First of all, the bill starts to grow dramatically, but also it's like a Rubik's Cube. You think you've solved one problem by giving this senator what they need. And meanwhile, you realize that you've turned off another senator who says, I can't accept that. So it becomes really, really complicated in that scenario. It's not at all saying that they couldn't work it through, but you're right. With that narrow majority, that they would probably have. It's going to be complicated. But nevertheless, all the things we talked about in the Biden plan, that's the scenario where you know they are going to be in play, whether that means with a filibuster or under budget reconciliation, which if we do get this all blue scenario, I promise you there will be a budget reconciliation episode forthcoming. But it's a good point that we shouldn't just assume that the Biden plan will become law overnight just because we get the all blue. And depending upon what happens with the Supreme Court and health care, the ACA, that could move up to become a higher priority on the Democratic agenda. And there's also going to be the question of what the relative priorities are, given that there's a number of areas they would want to address and where tax falls in line. We also should remember that in many ways, taxes could be a means to some of those ends. So to the extent there is more work to be done on the Affordable Care Act or something where they could need additional revenue, they could turn to some of these tax measures too. So it's kind of always going to be in play and it's something that I think we'd all be looking out for. Yeah, it's a question of whether it's like an engine or whether it's a car on a train. That's right. There's a long list of Democratic wants now. It's been 2010 since Democrats had full reign and were able to do what they wanted. Even the last few years of Obama, you had Republicans in one or both houses of Congress. So there's going to be a very, very long list of Democratic wants. I agree with you, Carol. Okay, well, Jennifer, let's come back to you then. And this is kind of our last scenario. So we talked about divided control with the Biden White House. We talked about the all blue scenario. Now let's come back to a possible Trump second term. Now we're by definition in divided control here, right? Because we've already more or less called the House for the Democrats. But what does this mean exactly? Is it very similar to what we already talked about when we had the divided control with the Biden White House? Is there a big difference in this scenario? In both scenarios, you're looking at fairly small, if any, major tax policy happening. The same sort of things come to mind. Your retirements, perhaps infrastructure, that would maybe be a little easier if you had Democrats in the mix there with a Republican president's unsure. Again, I think you're looking at a pretty limited list of potential items there on the tax side. We sort of hit on this when we talked about the Trump plan because we anticipated that the House would stay in democratic control. I guess the one thing that we should think about, and we've talked a little bit about it in the Trump context, and we should think about it in the Biden context. So if you had Biden agenda frustrated by a Republican Senate or a Trump White House frustrated by a Democratic House or Senate, you look to what executive authority would either 
Biden or Trump have on taxes, right? And we thought about it in the context of Trump because we talked about his capital gains proposal, which they've hinted at they think of the executive authority. I'll admit, I haven't thought about it at all for Biden, but I suspect people will pretty soon ask if there is divided control, what things might Biden try and do through executive authority? And that'll be something interesting to look for. Am I right? Absolutely. It will be fascinating. As we've seen recently, folks can get somewhat creative when it comes to executive power. And as we've said before, it seems that the trend has moved from the legislative branch more to the executive branch in recent decades in terms of authority overall. Well, that's all we have time for today. I wish we knew exactly how the political stars were going to align for 2021, but we just don't yet. And as it relates to the Senate, we may not know for some time. And it occurs to me that we have spent so much time talking about the Biden plan and even the Trump plan. If we get divided control of government with a GOP Senate and a Biden White House, for example, well, we may end up with the no plan scenario. And hey, don't distress. That could still be a lot of fun because history tells us that taxes will be on the table next year no matter what, at least somehow. And then we've got something entirely new to think and to talk about. With that, we'll leave you until next week. Until then, thanks for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, and I hope to see you soon.